Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Do you like to meditate? Have you tried to meditate? Have you struggled with meditation? Why don't you visit one of the Brahma Kumaris Meditation Center? Visit brahmakumaris.org. I want to show you something. Each day around the world, 5,000 people are infected with HIV. That was over 20 years ago. Today, an estimated one in five gay men in major U.S. cities is living with HIV. So why aren't we talking about it? Today, we have the tools to make HIV history. Let's finish what we started. Because the world needs you to live. The Meditation Museum in Silver Spring, Maryland offers a variety of courses and activities to make your life go a whole lot smoother. Located at 9525 Georgia Avenue, you will be able to experience the beautiful silence that's in the space. There are courses in Raj Yoga Meditation, Positive Thinking, Stress-Free Living, and Personal Development classes. For more information, call us at 301-588-0144 or visit us online at meditationmuseum.org. Get off the grid and step inside your heart. Sister Jenna guides you through a powerful, encouraging, and motivating meditation that allows you to let go and become aware of you, regain strength, power, and peace.
Lives are good despite whatever's happening around us. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to America Meditating Radio. That was our beautiful friend Ricky Byers Beckworth from the Agape Movement in beautiful Southern California. Thank you for joining us. Um, your time to be with us is really, really valuable, and I treasure every second of your contribution to us and our path. We are over a million. Sorry, we're over a million archive listeners, but we're over a thousand episodes. Yay! In the last three years, can you imagine? A thousand episodes plus. And we have the power to choose who we want on the air and the music that we want to play and the vibe that we wish to share with our listeners. And, you know, even though we've been approached by so many people, to get onto other networks who would amplify us, make us much better, will we'll definitely professionalize us and all of that. It would take away who I want to talk to. It would take away the music that I want to play. And I don't think I would be able to stay as present as I want to be. So thank you for joining us. And we always invite you to download the free app, the Pulse for Peace app, which gives you 24-7 access. And go to iTunes, CD Baby. Please get a copy of my CD, Off the Grid into the Heart. It is such a timely production right now. And I'm working on a new CD on bridging the gaps between our cultures. Stay tuned. We're going to have a heart-to-heart with the angry therapist, John Kim. Oh, my gosh, I hope John doesn't get angry with me in my conversation with him today. But I'm looking forward to hearing what John has to say and how he's going to maybe take us into another zone of understanding why we're here and how we're showing up because there is a lot of anger in the world. And the question is, what do we do to be present, to be able to rise above it all and to offer the best of ourselves despite the challenges that we're witnessing in our culture and in our narratives of our world. So stay tuned after this beautiful meditation from the Jewel Meditation CD. Here is the switch. Take a deep breath, and then we'll be back to have a heart-to-heart with John Kim. Imagine that you're sitting in a control room, looking through your eyes. 
Allow your body to become very comfortable and still. Now, turn off all the switches in the control room to the body. Turn off the switch to the feet. to the legs. As each switch is turned off, you'll feel that part of the body relax and become very light. Now turn off the switch to the stomach and the chest. Feel your breathing slowing down. Turn off the electricity to the hands and the arms, and you'll feel all the energy drawing upwards. Turn off the neck. to the face until the whole engine of the body has come to a standstill. And now let your mind relax. Be in the present. take your switch into a zone of um, well-being and to move more into a life of truth. You're listening to America Meditating Radio, and I'm your host, Sister Jenna. John Kim is a therapist, entrepreneur, public speaker, and the author of The Angry Therapist, A No BS Guide to Finding and Living Your Own Truth. He practices complete authenticity and transparency with his many clients, which is generally frowned upon in the clinical world, and continues to look for new, unconventional ways to help people. He sees himself as more of a lifestyle designer, I love that, a lifestyle designer, rather than a traditional therapist. And he helps people create personal growth organically just by living. John's work has been covered in the Atlantic.com journal and hyphen psychology today, mindbodygreen.com and wonderful NPR, which we want them to stay on the air since their funding planning on being pulled, but we're going to be a supporter of NPR Radio. Today, we warmly welcome John Kim. John Kim, please don't scream at me. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, I'm not going to scream. 
Hi. I, I got to say, you? You, have, you have, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. What were you going to say? You have one of the most calming voices on radio. Yeah, because that's the medication, yeah. John, which I hope you do uh, encourage <laughs> your clients to do. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, it's one of those things where it's uh, do, as I, do as I say, not as I do, because it's such a struggle for me. Um, I try to get 20 minutes in every morning, and I, I haven't hit that tipping point where, I'm, where it's you know a, a daily ritual in my life, but I'm trying. Okay, well, do like what I do. I walk and talk meditation, which means I try to check that I'm not having any waste thoughts while I'm in action, and to me, that's meditation. And I have mm. a funny feeling you're doing that. I love what you're doing. I'm looking at your picture, you. and not only are you gorgeous, but you know, you're know you doing something that's helping people. And so you're considered a pioneer in the field of self-help because you've got a radical approach towards your way of you know, offering therapy. Tell us a little bit more about what is the angry therapist? Yeah, uh, so, oh, man. Um, I, you know, I think in my 20s and 30s I was angry. Uh, you know, I was angry mostly because I wasn't happy and I was directionless, didn't have a sense of purpose. And then I went through a divorce about seven years ago, and that just changed everything for me. I decided to be a therapist, and I kind of pulled the curtain back and decided to practice transparency. And a lot of therapists are not supposed to do that uh, because – in therapy school, we're learned to, you know, be very neutral, and there's a lot of shoulds in therapy school in the clinical world. And so I started a little blog called Angry Therapist, and because I was going through my winter and heartbreak and my rebirth, I just started documenting. And I learned that people actually trust you more, and they, you know, they, they responded to this therapist that also was hurting and had his issues and his problems. And I guess what happened was it, it humanized me. So the angry therapist, um, you know, I, I call that that just kind of be funny that a therapist is angry, but at the end of the day, it's just my way of saying that I'm human. Mm, and I love that. I remember, and if you hear my show, I, I'll tell everyone about my first four to five years in spirituality. I thought I had become like the it, you know, I was near to God, mm-hmm. I'm it. Because people were following me and people were like, wow, you're like a deity, you've been called, you're this, you're that. So I was playing right. it. But then I sat in my meditation room, which I called my Baba's room, found the father of my movement. And I just said, I'm not what they say I am. And the beautiful whisper came to me, John, and he said, I don't need you to be perfect. I just want you to be mm. honest. And that just diffused all of that sort of a um, superficial presence that we tend to give in front of people to try to make them think we're better than they are or to try to give them something that we think they need. So thank you for your honesty and your authenticity. Word honest is, is kind of the North Star. That's, that's everything, right. you know. Exactly. And I think we tend to shy away from it because sometimes when we have to look at ourselves, honestly, we sometimes realize errors that we've messed up and we don't really want to be accountable for that. Right. So what was it like as a therapist in the residential treatment program? I mean, treating teenagers, struggling with substance abuse and stuff. Yeah, it was interesting because my definition when I was going through, you know, becoming a therapist is I had this blueprint or this idea of what a therapist should look like. And, you know, he's got an office and he's got those silver balls where they bounce back and forth and you know he comes mm-hmm. in a shirt and tie and, and a press shirt and his latte but the universe had different plans for me the universe threw me into non-profit residential working with um underprivileged teenagers uh, with with their addiction and so it was called tc and it was basically uh education for me and learning about rebuilding yourself through other people and the power of community and so a lot of my book and what i'm doing now stems from everything i learned in that world 
so I started running mm-hmm. groups, you know, three, four groups every day for like for years and years and years. And I had some spiritual moments. I got to say, you know, <laughs> a lot of the times they say that the house was haunted, but I've had moments, you know, at 10 p.m. Uh, with 15 teenagers and almost felt like something was working through me because I didn't even know what I was saying or how I was connecting dots, but the, the, the groups would just be like uh, amazing, you know, and then I would drive home in awe wondering, you know, how, yeah. how I even did that. I was like almost in a flow state. And uh, I just felt that that was my purpose because it just felt so honest. Well, you know, I always call that it's when your moment of wisdom met a moment of silence. And you and I, mm-hmm. our ego just has no control over that. And it doesn't need to be involved when there's right. something at a higher level that's being delivered. Talk yeah. a little bit about your therapeutic community. You know, what is the treatment model that you've started that seems to be doing a lot of good? Yeah, so I I, I started working in unconventional ways. I started seeing people around the lake I, you know I said if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about life let's do like what we're doing you know while we're talking and so I would bring them into the CrossFit box we'd go on hikes and uh, I'd meet them in coffee shops and I purposely never had an office and so that kind of became a new more kind of casual way of uh, treating people and a lot of therapists who follow me and life coaches really respond to that and now they're doing it themselves and really enjoying it, you know, so like uh, helping people and just taking it out of the room. And then I recently partnered um, with Taylor Adams and and, uh, uh, Noel and created this thing called Shift. And it's basically uh, an online platform where you could, you could grow through tribes. And then we also um, certify people to be life coaches because I think that, Mm. I think the clinical world is kind of broken. I I didn't have a good experience. I, I, I don't regret it, but I think there's better ways to help people help people. I know it's scary, isn't it? I think a lot of us yeah. are moving into a time where the old is has done what it has done, I, and I'm not disputing that. Even on my own spiritual journey, John, I had to come to a foregone conclusion that, Jen, I love my disciplines. I love waking up early in the morning. I love my spiritual study. I love being in service to humanity and dot, dot, dot. Now I find myself more, that there's more that I could... There's something that I was being prepared for as a result of that for more. And it's to actually give the clinical community the courage and samples to see that there are alternative ways that can actually help people to get over their mental anguish. Yeah, and it's a great time for that, especially with the injection of Internet and also the, um, you know, the, the, the fact that wellness is now mainstream. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the idea of a life coach, even like five, six years ago, was was people thought it was a joke. Um, but now they're legit. And there's a lot of crossover, you know, yoga instructors and fitness instructors and nutritionists all also being life coaches since they're helping people anyway. And so I think it's an exciting time. The clinical world and yeah. psychology has never really had a, sh- a shake up. So um, I think it's going to happen now. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, World Health Organization is now focusing in April for mental illness. The UN is focusing a theme on mental illness. And yet we're being told that, you know, if the Obamacare was really repealed, funding for mental illness would have been removed from the table. I don't even know where any of that comes from. It just doesn't make any sense. But perhaps their mental illness is also in areas of leadership in which it's an area that people are very sensitive. Do you know this, that in India, there's like a shy over 3,000 psychiatrists in India because it's such a stigma if you're born in a family and it reveals that you've got a mental illness. They don't yeah, know what to do with you and they push you aside or they yeah. put you on the streets. Yeah, there's so much judgment and stigma and labels with all that stuff. Um, and I think it, you know, it, it, it destroys us, puts us in a box. 
But John, isn't it complicated? I mean, you and I have been in our own stages where perhaps we've been stuck in a particular issue in life. Uh, Let's say maybe going through the divorce might have been one of the hardest things you've experienced apart from being a teenager (laughs) and dealing with parents. (laughs) But that energy where you're trying to find an answer, but you find yourself repeating a same pattern of thinking and can't get out of that answer. And I find that folks that are struggling with mental abilities or just struggling with uh, a past narrative, it's a cycle that they're in. Have you been able to find a way to help people to break that cycle of thought, which really is giving them their pain? And is that why you really go at them and and really ask them the questions that they don't want to hear? Like, tell us one or two things that could help us to break our cycle of feeling stuck or being in a place of something old, which really isn't serving Mm -hmm. our better good. Yeah, I think um, the first step uh, to any of this is, is is awareness, being aware. I think if you're not aware of your thinking um, or you don't explore that, you know, you're just going to be on autopilot. You're just going to go to your default, and it's like that sticky pattern you're talking about, and so many people struggle with that, uh, their way of faulty thinking and cognitive distortions. And also every thought is lined with some kind of emotion, and our thoughts aren't usually positive. <laughs> you know, They're mm-hmm. usually negative, and so with that comes – and the emotion is always going to be the elephant and your logic is going to be the writer on top. And so the emotion is going to go where it's going to go. And that's why, you know, then your state changes, then your mood changes, and then your behavior changes, and it ripples, and you just become very grayed out, you know. So I would say awareness, being aware of your thoughts, how they uh, affect, you know, your relationships, your, your decisions, your quality of life, and then making that decision to when you have that thought to know that you actually control your thoughts and that you can let it go. And, and now, we're, you know, now we're talking about you know, meditation and mindfulness and all this. Just breathe and uh, replace those thoughts with something more positive. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Sounds so but simple, it, it but yet... I, I know, I know, I know, and you listen. I struggle with it too, but it is a it is a practice, and that's I think that's the word is it's not a light switch, it's not something you do once, but it's like working out or or you know doing fitness. You have to in, thread it into your life so it's a way of living. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's it's that integrating is that integrating of it, and it's that remembrance of it. And it's safe for me to assume that you do encourage your clients just take baby steps. I mean, you have a very, very sure. large online practice. Don't you need to sometimes see the patients face to face for them, like vibrationally, or just I don't know. Yeah, um, and, and I got to say, even though you know I started the whole thing online, and I do a lot of stuff online. Uh, there's nothing better than in person. And that's never going to change, right? I mean, to have the person in front of you is always the, 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 the rich. You can get the, the most information and, and, like you said, energy and mood and all that stuff. But when the Internet came out, I, I just thought it was such a great tool uh, because it's, a, it's basically the direct conduit in someone's life uh, with the bu- press of a button. And in the, uh, in the therapy world, the clinical world, um, you're only supposed to see people online if they're in your state or at least in California I'm licensed in California and I was I thought that was so limiting and I started seeing people all around the world and and just wore the the hat of a life coach uh, and I thought like this is going to be the new way and so now I mean everyone is seeing everyone via Skype and face you know FaceTime and all that stuff and I don't think like the board's not going to be able to stop that (laughs) because because that's just the new language we speak. Mm, I'm looking at your Twitter page and you have a very very beautiful quote that you said and I'm about to follow you right now. <laughs> Don't you just love? I I love tweeting because it's simple. Yeah, I never. I'm on, rarely on Twitter. Sorry. Really? Oh, oh, oops. Well, anyway, even the best relationships need a tune-up. Yeah, love that. I think that 
I, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think relationships, it, it, they're like a living, breathing thing that you must feed and maintain. And, you know, and I think that when we lose track of that, uh, you know, it's, it's like riding a bike. You have to constantly pedal or you're mm-hmm. not going to go forward. And I think mm-hmm. relationships, you got to get, you know, you got to, you got to pedal, you know, whatever that looks like to you. And I think most mm-hmm. people, I think also most people, they give up too soon. I, I talk yeah. a lot about loving hard. I think us, you know, just as a society and especially with the, the, the young kids with the swipe generation and all these apps and there's a disconnect. And so when things don't go right, they just bounce, <laughs> you know, yeah. and before we would, we would stick it out more before. And now it just, um, it just seems so, you know, maybe because people have choices, I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, maybe part of it is just instant gratification because of the world and attention span, but um, people leave too soon. They don't work for it. They don't. They don't fight for their relationships anymore. Sometimes I wonder: is it just because the pain is is not deep enough, or is it that we are addicted to two forms of instant change: either fall in love, or have a tragic occurrence, a situation happen to you? Um, yeah. You, you know, you mentioned earlier you're not really much on on Twitter, so we went onto your Facebook, and 14 yeah, hours I'm big ago, on <laughs> you know, you said looking for real transformation. Check your ego at the door. We say we want change. Some of us say we want to change. And while anyone can say this, point is, change is hard work. Talk to us about change. Why wow. is it so hard? Because um, <laughs> you're going against. You're going against the grain of of of, who, of everything you know. You know, I think um, we are we are wired a certain way, and you know, a lot of it is subconscious underneath. And um, we are used to patterns and thinking patterns. And so, when we have that through our entire life, to suddenly um, want to change that is like it's going to feel like swimming up river. Mm. Uh, it, but but it's like that with anything. I mean, when you try to change your body, you trying to you know that's not easy. <laughs> trying to change your eating habits, um, any kind of change. I think because we want homeostasis. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we don't like discomfort, and we run away from discomfort, and any any kind of change or growth lives in discomfort. Right, I get that. Any kind of change or growth lives in discomfort until yeah. you get used to the discomfort, where it starts to become the norm. <laughs> and yes. ten years yes. later, you're going, "Oh, I need to change." So it's like an ongoing process because you know I believe. We're all souls, and soul is an energy that never dies, but it does mm. go through changes. And I do right. believe in the virtue of, of honesty. And you talk a lot about transparency, which I think is the bedrock to honesty. Everything starts with how you're feeling, and it's, again, the birthplace of change. So yeah. there are three things that are there three things that you could offer our amazing listeners to begin the process of creating solid self, self that you can really rely on. Like many times I'll ask, and I got this from Oprah when she was doing her Super Soul Sunday, and she used to mm-hmm. ask this question, like, what's at your base? So are there right. three things that you could say, this is at my base, this is my base? Yeah. First thing would be that it's usually a whisper because it's the part of us that we've locked into a hope chest because we had to grow up mm-hmm. or because we had to take care of our parents or, you know, whatever. Once we started paying taxes, <laughs> we started ignoring a, a lot of voices. Um, and it's usually the whisper. It's the quiet. And that's the solid. Um, and we usually pull from our pseudo, which is the, the, the part of us that seeks approval, validation. You know, we care a lot what other people think. And so and then also we, we, we live our life tracing blueprints. So uh, blueprints mm. that are old, that are, that are not ours. You know, a lot of people, the picket fence, all this kind of stuff. And by doing that, you're not living your truth. 
you are you are kind of living with a veneer, you know. Um, I call mm-hmm. it. In, I call it. I tell people you should live inside out instead of outside in, and that would be the the second piece. Is a lot of people live outside in, so their 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 actions, their desires, their behavior. It's all based on external factors, uh, things that are outside of self, and those are influenced by advertising and and society and all this. Uh, to live inside out means to know your truth. Right, uh, be mm-hmm. heard, share your story, and 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 execute that in action. So whatever you feel, whatever is honest to you, um, let right. that be where you pull from. And I think the third piece would be to trust your story because most people want to rip out chapters. And I always tell people their story is the most valuable thing they will ever own. And mm-hmm. because I mean, what's the definition of valuable? It's something that is rare, something that is unique, something that is irreplaceable, and that is your story. And what's sad is. You know, because, uh, you know, most of us have struggled through life and have had things that were beyond our control. And, you know, a lot of uh, just a lot of winters, we want we're embarrassed of them. And then we those chapters are lined with shame and guilt. We want to rip those out. But by ripping those out, we're not being whole people. Now we're we're we're, we're uh, turning to pieces. Mm, I like that. So there's power in your story. Yeah. So trust your story. I Be love grateful. that. I might have mentioned to you earlier how in my early days, you know, I just thought I was I had arrived. And, mm. you know, I'm living with, you know, seven virgin girls in an ashram after I've kind of closed wow. down my two nightclubs and having my luxury cars and dating the son of a prime minister. <laughs> Everybody knows the story, by the way. Wow. And it was interesting for me to not feel comfortable with presenting that part of my story with the feeling like, oh, my God, what can I tell these girls? Oh, my God, they'll never understand. Mm. They'll think I'm like a heathen. But it was later on, maybe in my eighth year, that I had valued where I had been and that I wasn't born a saint, that I've done some work here. I've done work here, not out of pain, but out of realization and and, and acknowledgement that there there are higher ways that you could live your life if you wish to. And so I hear you when when, when you say that. I really hear you on that. Thank you for those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Any final remarks that you'd like to share until we close, as we close our conversation? Um, No, I like I like what we're talking about. I like this idea that um, we should go back to what's honest to us and be transparent. Um, I also think you have a beautiful story, and I think that the contrast, you know, the people that come that have gone through the most end up being the diamonds. They end up being the most beautiful people, you know, the most empathetic and the most giving. So, yeah, I would just leave with uh, telling, reminding people to accept, embrace, share, and trust your story. All right. Well, let our listeners know where we can find more information about your work and John Kim. TheAngryTherapist.com, or I'm also on, I'm active on Instagram and Facebook mostly. And uh, my company is called Shift Without the I, S-H-F-T dot us. You ever come to D.C.? No, but I want to. <laughs> well, now you've got an open invitation and a platform. Looking forward to having oh, you when you, you so pass much. by. You're welcome. Absolutely. All the best, John. And thanks for not yeah, screaming thank you at so me. Much. Yes. <laughs> All righty. Many good okay. wishes. Bye-bye. Be well. <laughs> thanks. Beautiful young man. Um, again, you know, it gets to the point, just life's own unfolding of its story helps us to sort of figure ourselves out and to get our acts together because if we don't do the work and if we don't ask ourselves the right questions to get the right response, how are we going to get there? I mean, really, how are we going to get to a life of freedom and power and dignity and the strength to exist 
in our own realities and for our own truth. I'll leave that up for you all to figure out, my dear friends. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give it up to them. And we really are here. Let us start to love each other the same. We can do it. Here's Colors of the Wind by Vanessa Williams. Just a dead thing you can claim 